learn to seek the Lord where you are. Like I, I'm of the opinion, especially for single people, like if you can't be content being single, what makes you think you're going to be content being married? Welcome to the Dismantle, creating community, not converts. Hello and welcome to The Dismantle, a show for community, not converts. I'm your host, Joey. Each week we attempt to dismantle or take apart an issue that has or has the potential to be problematic within the church by having a dialogue with a guest who has insider experience with the subject. We won't always agree, but we won't argue because the goal is to gain understanding and perspective by sharing our views in a way that builds bridges, but not barriers. Our guest this week is Josh Wilder. Josh lives in Portland, Oregon. He has a bachelor's in biblical studies from Multnomah University and a master's of divinity from Princeton Theological Seminary. Before seminary, he worked as a journeyman machinist and helped plan a church called Door of Hope. He currently leads various small groups. In addition to working as an architectural draftsman and writing a short book on spiritual and intellectual skills students need to get the most out of their education. In addition to talking about the most important things in life, he likes to read, ride his Harley, and go fly fishing. Josh, welcome to The Dismantle. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Joe. I'm excited that you're on, man. It's good to connect. Yeah, me too. Mm-hmm. Always. So, so let's dive in a little bit. How did you get introduced to faith, church? Uh, what's your background with all of that? Yeah, um, so I I was sort of saturated in that growing up. My my father was raised Catholic and my mother was raised Mormon. Um, and that's a world of difference, isn't it? Well, well, it's it's a world of difference, but also a world of similarity because both of them are like very, very strict rule keeping sort of systems. Interesting. So, um, so my my parents were both rather nominal, like in their religious background, though when they met, and so when they had kids, they had to decide, you know, well, my kids aren't going to be Mormon, my kids aren't going to be Catholic, or whatever. So they took us to a Baptist church. Naturally. Yeah, exactly. Like that was sort of like the compromise, I suppose. But um, yeah, so I was raised in it um, on a on a pretty rule heavy, I would say more on the um, conservative evangelical, most fundamentalist side. Um, so that was my sort of introduction to faith. And there were some wonderful people that I've met and that I'm still in contact with and that I love who uh, who are still doing what they're doing um and so yeah that's that's sort of the history i'm not sure how much how much deeper you want to you want to delve into that i've i've gone through quite quite the journey since then but that was pretty much my next question so has there been more of a journey from that point to where you are now uh in some ways yes and and in a lot of ways no i think there's a sense in which i have i have certainly done a lot of exploring and um, I've sort of found my way. I always found my way back home, I guess you'd say, um, though not, uh, though not exactly like if you were to take the tradition of, of my parents and in my own tradition, there's enough similarity to where you could say like, Oh yeah, I can see logically how that works. Like it's, it's certainly modified, but it's not like I, I, uh, I went way out, you know, Sure. like I, cause so some of the things I did was, um, so I was raised like in a Baptist church and then, uh, we started going to this evangelical Calvary chapel style church, but it was reformed, which isn't like Calvary chapel. <laughs> so, okay. 
So there was that. And then like I started volunteering at a hospital where there were a lot of Catholics. So I had a lot of Catholic interaction. And then I spent some time, um, actually for over a year, I went to an Antiochian Orthodox church and then I went to a seminary at a Presbyterian seminary. And actually there's where I like discovered Luther and, you know, learned a lot more about Lutheranism and the various other traditions. So I sort of, ran the gamut in a lot of ways and seen what there is to offer both in sort of the the left-leaning mainline side of Christianity and the more right-leaning evangelical sort of side. And yeah, I, I'm one of those weird people who sort of, I find myself, you know, when I go, when I go home and I go to the more right-leaning places, I'm like the liberal in, in the camp. And when I go, when I'm in the sort of mainline world, I'm the, I'm the uh, token conservative in the camp. So I'm, Depending on where you stand, that's where that's where I, I am. That's pretty cool. And uh, like we said in your intro, you uh, you actively serve at Door of Hope in Portland. You're still there, correct? Yes, sir. Very cool. I got to get back there eventually. <laughs> yeah, it's changed uh, a lot since you were here. It's really yeah, it's changed a lot. There's like it's huge. There's so many people now. But we're in the process of like trying, like, well, it's been like years in the making of like trying to. Uh, sort of birth multiple birth churches out so that it's not like the desire never was to build like this sort of empire mega church, but to have multiple churches. Um, it's just, it's just been a matter of like the church growing faster than we have leaders to plant the churches. Wow. So, um, so that's sort of the, the struggle is how, how do you, how do you create or, um, create the space so that leaders might arise uh, and you might be able to train them and then they can, you know, pilot these new church plants. Yeah. What a great problem to have. Right. Exactly. (laughs) That's cool, man. So our topic today on the dismantle is the topic of singleness. Uh, The prophet Beyonce is quoted by saying all the single ladies, put your hands up. Uh, Truly the anthem of 2008. Uh, And this is, you know, just wonderful songwriting, (laughs) satire, satire implied. Um, but, but this is not an uncommon, uh, theme that most, uh, I would say millennials run into, uh, Gen Xers. Uh, This is a common theme that, uh, that rarely the church talks about. Josh, what's your experience with the art of singleness? Um, well, I guess, I guess here's where I could, uh, sort of, well, you're asking for it, so I'll share sort of my background. Obviously, I was when I was born, I was single, and I was like that for quite some time. <laughs> uh, you ain't wrong. No, no, yeah. So for twenty twenty two years, I was single, and um, and I did sort of, I guess, what your typical single person does. You just you don't think about it until you sort of hit puberty, and then and then when you think about it, you're not really thinking in terms of um, sort of coupling for life you're just thinking more in terms of the biological differences between male and female and exploring that but um eventually you get to a point where there's that sort of emotional longing you know like to to be coupled to someone and um and so i i dealt with that probably about how how typical high schoolers do or you know especially when when your friends start coupling up, then if you're not coupled up, you feel really lonely. And, um, it wasn't until I was, so, uh, 
it wasn't until I was 21 or I was 20. Yeah, I was 21 when I, uh, I met a gal. We, we started dating. I had dated other people before, but it was never like serious, like longer than six months or anything like that. Until I was 21, I started dating a gal and, um, we, uh, you know, things, things were going like all the, the right quote unquote right direction. And, um, it, we seemed to work well together and we got married when I was 22. Um, <clears throat> and things were, things were good. I was married, like, um, I guess typical, I was married in the church. And we got married and we would have people over and uh, we would go to church and do sort of the, the typical thing that's expected of, of a married couple. Sure. Um, but due to, due to various circumstances after, um, you know, a lot of those circumstances were not in my control, but um, six years into that, she, uh, she left. Well, it wasn't quite six years in um, she left um and so I found myself single again. And having to uh, re-navigate that world, because there's sort of like this, I mean, you're married, Joey, so you know this, like when you get married, like it's really exciting at first and you don't notice like, like you notice the all the positive changes, but it takes a good like six months to a year to really figure out like, whoa, like my whole life has now shifted and had to like reorient. Right, right. Because um, it's just a different orientation now that like all your decisions like affect another person. So you really have to have their interests in mind, like as you're as you're making decisions. Um, but going from like married to single, there's that same sort of like reorientation back to being single, except for without all of the lovely joy of like having another person in the sense of belonging, like all that stuff that comes with actually getting married. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so it was obviously like traumatic and everything, but that's sort of been my, my journey, like, uh, as a single and then not single and then single again. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for sharing that, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I had listened to you on another podcast talk about how singles are categorized as invisible. And what mm-hmm. and what you went on to explain by that is that people within the church are labeled as married or to be married. Right. Um, it's kind of it's, singleness is kind of categorized as this transitional position. Do you find that right. labeling happening a lot within the church? Um, I would say on like explicitly no, but implicitly yes. Okay. And what I mean by that is that um, people, people don't just come up and say to you, uh, I don't see you as single. I see you as yet to be married. Like I've never met anybody who's ever said that. Right. And if you led with that, you'd probably just smack that person in the face. Right. right exactly. Like, so nobody leads with that, but just like the way that the way that we tr- the way that people as singles and the way that people who aren't single treat people who are is as though they are, uh, they're there. It's inevitable that they will be married at some point. And so right now what they're in is this sort of transitional time. Uh, they're sort of like waiting or pursuing some other life out there, like the point of this single life here is kind of to 
get through it so that you can get into the married one. Yeah. And so that's why it's, it seems like, you know, there, there really isn't a category of single, like, no, like that's a, that's actually a good place to be. And it's, and it's where you like, you might even want to stay there for some length of time, you know, whether that's your whole life or a year or two years or 10 years or whatever, like you might actually want to stay there. Like that thought isn't, isn't, that's that thought is not a category that we have. There's just the the single person who's who's uh, who, whose time to be married just simply has not come yet. But it's but it's always desirable. You know, it's it's you're always wanting it to be there. Like that's that's where your life is headed, and you can see this just by the way the language we use. Like people don't say like if I get married then or if I have kid. Like it's always when I get married or my spouse will or you know, my kids will, or when I have kids, like there isn't, uh, there isn't a category of like, Oh, you know, maybe I, I would stay single and, and that would actually be okay. Hmm. And that's, that's what I mean by like, it's, it's, it's implied, you know, by the, by the language, like there's, it's always implied that you have like this hypothetical future spouse and i mean i've I've known even groups of people who get together to pray for their hypothetical future spouse really and and maybe that's like i I don't know like i'm not i'm not casting judgment on that but but i'm just pointing it out to show that like if if you do that that reveals that you believe that you will that marriage is inevitable for you Right. You, you, you don't have the category of being single as something that it's that might be your whole life. And would you be OK with that? Like that that idea hasn't clicked yet. Yeah, it's almost given this less than status as though right. there's as though there's a void that one day you'll be filling. It just mm-hmm. hasn't happened yet. So it's never right, right. it's never looked in a positive way. It's always viewed in a negative right. Exactly. Hmm. It's something to be, it's something to be avoided or to be, to be got through as quickly as possible. Almost like it's this unpleasant experience, right? Yeah. And so, so you, you have to go through it, but you know what, but, but there's, there's a greater good on the other side of it, you know? And, and so you're, you're constantly pursuing that greater good and then just merely tolerating your singleness, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I've never personally heard in the church, whether it's mine or otherwise, I've never heard them address the topic of singleness. And if I had, it's exactly what you were alluding to. Uh, and even a step further, it's, it's addressing it as, uh, or in the context of saving sex for marriage. Right. Uh, in your opinion, why do you think that this is such a glossed over and forgotten subject matter for the church? I think I think it's that way for several reasons. Actually, I've 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 given this some thought, though. Of course, you know you you always could give things more thought than you do. Sure. Uh, if, if I was paid to sit here and think all day, then I probably would think about more things than I do. Exactly. But uh, but one one so one reason why I think it might be glossed over is because I mean, if you just look at statistics, you know, most people will be married. And so there might be like this, um, that, that the fact that like, it's not as, it's not like a one-to-one ratio like death, but it's still, it's still pretty darn high. 
So there might be the sense of like, well, you know what, everyone's, you know, or just about everyone is going to get married eventually anyway. So let's focus on prepping them for that. Um, instead of like focusing on where they are, let's focus on getting them to where they quote unquote need to be or where they want to be or where they inevitably will be. So part of it, I think, could be just the fact that we still see it as a foregone conclusion that people who aren't married most certainly will be. Yeah. But but I think another another reason is because marriage is held in such high esteem. And I'm not I'm not down on the fact that marriage is held in such high esteem. But but um, if you look at well, if we step outside of the church, just into the culture, for example, marriage is still held in very high regard, even though people are waiting longer to get married and divorce is still high. And there are more young people who are who are hesitant or less likely to get married. <clears throat> still, I, I, I think that one of the reasons why they're reluctant to get married is because they hold it in such high regard and they think that they are not, they are not worthy to hold that hmm. because, because divorce is so high. And here's one of the reasons why I think that. So if you remember years back, the whole same-sex marriage debate, there was no same-sex singles debate. And interesting. And, and, and regardless of where, you know, anyone listening to this stands on, on that issue, that's, that's not my point. So I'm, I hope that people don't like hear me like trying to fight for, for that issue. I'm just, I'm, I'm, what I'm trying to point out is that um, most, so a lot of the states already had things like um, civil unions and things that, that gave same-sex couples the, the same rights that, that married couples had. And even in the, in the, in the, um, like in the law literature, they would, they, they'd say they're fighting for equality under law. Right. But, but realistically, like they, they did have equality under law, like being able to give your inheritances to the person, hospital visits, stuff like that. It wasn't, it certainly wasn't everywhere. But a lot of money was dumped into getting this to like, why did so much money dumped into the, the word marriage, right? Like if you could have the same like equal rights, but you don't get the word marriage, why spend so much money and so much time fighting for that word marriage? Well, it's because marriage is still held in high regard. And if you, if you would watch the tapes of people on the news when, you know, when the Supreme court passed a, or, uh, you know, when that Obergefell decision came down and people were crying, they, they would say, finally, we feel respected. We feel affirmed. It, it was all about um, the sort of status that one gets with having that title marriage. Yeah. yeah. So if, I think that just simply even outside of the church, marriage is still is still regarded very highly. Um and that's now, and now, so like now step into the church and already like it's in the church, you have all sorts of theological justifications for that, you know? Um, and one of them is, is that um, marriage is, marriage is a, is the primary metaphor for how God relates to his people, both in the old and new Testament, you know, right. he's, he's Israel is his bride whom he rescues out of, out of Egypt it's it's his adulterous wife who is who is um, being unfaithful and following after other gods. And e Ezekiel 16, I believe it is, he has some pretty graphic 
graphic descriptions of the sort of adultery that his wife is participating in. And in the New Testament, you have, of course, we are called the bride of Christ. And, um, and, and that, that image of, of the church being Christ's bride is actually the imagery that's used to, um, to instigate husbands and wives in how they treat one another. So there, there are some marriages is very highly elevated in the church as well. And it always has been. And so I think in, in some ways, like what, what has happened is that marriage has been, it's not, it's not that it's wrong that marriage is held in high esteem. It's that it has, has come to eclipse singleness almost entirely. Um, Hmm. And it's kind of like, um, I don't, it's treated this way. I'm not saying it is this way, but it's treated almost like a telescope. And on, and if you look through one end, it's marriage and the other end, it's singleness. Like you can never have both. You always have to look through one end and not the other. I don't think that it's actually that way. Like both of them are good, um, but they haven't been sort of presented to us that way. Yeah. That's really so, insightful, man. Thank you. Yeah. Um, now, specifically talking about the church, obviously the church gets its cues not only from God, but also from the Bible. And as mm-hmm. we mentioned, the Bible does have a bit to say about marriage and singleness, almost in contradictory ways at times. First um, Corinthians 7, it says it's good for some people to be married. Uh, and then it says it's good for some people to be single. Um, yeah. How would you define who's who? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's that's a uh, honestly, I, I don't think I'm in the position to like to tell to define yeah. who is who really. Sure. Um, but there 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 could be some good maybe guidelines to follow. Okay. And if you if you actually back up in that passage, what one of the things Paul says is. In light of the impending crisis, I give this instruction. So even what Paul says there is not necessarily something that is, it's, it could be, but it isn't necessary. Right. That this, that this should be the rule for all time. Um, Cause what Paul goes, he, he essentially says like, yeah, if you get married, you're not sinning, but it's better if you're single. <laughs> you know, like that's, that's essentially what he says. And we're not sure what that, like, in light of that impending crisis, what does that mean? Like, was the church being persecuted? Because if you're married, then, like, then uh, it's not just you sticking your neck out for Jesus. It's your whole family. Exactly. You know? Tradition tells us that, like, that Peter didn't just die on a cross. Like, he was married and his wife did, too. Like, so things didn't just happen to the men in those days. Like, it happened to your whole family. So there's this sense of, like, well— in light of the crisis, like, you know, they may find you out and then they'll kill your whole family. And that's probably going to be worse than if they only kill you. You know, um, that could be it. It could be something else. We don't we don't really know for sure. It's interesting. Um, yeah. What it what what that is about. But I think the I think the principle still applies that that Paul is is talking about there that the single person, your life like when you get married, your life becomes incredibly complex, like way more complex than it was before. 
Totally. Uh, you know, and then when you have a child, like now your life gets even more complex and the ability to focus your attention and your energy toward a, like a singular goal becomes more difficult. I'm not saying it's mm-hmm. impossible. It's just harder because now you're, I, I mean, for you, for you now, especially like as a, as, as a husband and a father, it's like, you're not just saying, how can I honor God with my life? Now you're saying like, how can my whole family honor God with our lives? And so now like you have, you have other things to, to consider and think about where you didn't before yeah. when you were single. So there's just that sort of mental energy that goes into it. Sorry. It's more layered. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Whereas when you're single, like, you know, right now I'm single so I can, you know, I didn't come home. I didn't come straight home from work and I'm not worried about my roommates worrying about where I am and they're not, you know, like I didn't have to make any special arrangements with anyone for any of this. And I could do that every single day of the week. And it won't like, and it won't get in anybody's way. Like it won't, you know, I'm not neglecting any of my responsibilities to do that. So there's a sense in which the the person who's single, they can give themselves very directly to, to ministerial work in a lot, like more, more rapidly, like quick turnaround. They can do it for longer durations Mm -hmm. because they're not having to like, pull back and then, and go take care of their family and then go out again. Um, and they can do it at, at a lower cost because you're not, you know, like for all the things in, in Catholicism, like having, having a celibate priesthood of all, of all the things it did that's good, good or bad. One of the good things is like the money that they spend on their clergy is a lot lower than Protestants who, who, whose clergy get married and they have, you know, three or four kids or something like that. Like just look at the healthcare cost of, of taking care of five versus one, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Having worked in a church, uh, the conversation, uh, became very different when I got engaged. And then when I got married, I got, I got boosted to full time. Uh, and (laughs) and then the healthcare kicked in. I mean, I, I can only imagine the, the headache and disaster that they had to to deal with as they quote unquote celebrated that I had found the one God picked for me, you know? So yeah, that's, that's totally something to think about. Yeah. So I'm not saying, I'm not saying particularly for, for anyone individually, but, um, but there is a sense in which like, there's a, there's a immediate need, like obviously there's immediate needs around us everywhere. And the people who are, who are like most equipped to, to meet very, I mean, I mean like tactile, like tangible needs tend to be single people because they can respond very quickly. It's not, sure. they, don't, they don't have to go home and discuss it with their spouse and, you know, sort of talk it over and see if it'll work. Like they can just do it right now. Yeah. It's a more nimble approach. Right. And, and so that's, uh, that's something that I would call an advantage of, sure. of, of being single that you don't have when you're married. Now, when you're married, you do have uh, there are advantages to that. I was actually, I, I was talking with a friend. Uh, well, actually I was, I was thinking like very deeply considering like, well, should I, should I like do this single thing? Like just, just the rest of my life because I'm, I'm fairly content with it. Like I don't have to, like, I don't have to get married. I don't feel desperate or like this. I don't like the thing that people are just like dying to be married. Like that's not me. Like it'd be nice, but it like, yeah, I'm not dying for it. 
So I started listing out the benefits of these like singleness and being married. And I just mentioned some of the ones with being single, but also, but also there's some pluses to being married. And some of them are, um, some of them are like personal, like, you know, you have that sense of fulfillment, you feel supported in your work, you have, you have like emotional support and things like that. And there are other ones like hireability in certain fields. Um, you're more likely to be hired if you're married than if you're not. <clears throat> totally. Um, but there's also like, I think longer term benefits. Like if, if you're married, especially and most of these ones are, if you're married and you have children, um, but if you're married and you have children, now you're, now you're going to be planted in a community and your kids are going to go to school. They're going to make friends. Um, they're going to become like, you are going to become more integrated into society and you're going to have access to places you didn't before. So like, for example, like you're going to run into your kids, soccer coaches, their, their friends and their friends, parents, you're going to be at, you know, parent teacher conferences. So they're teachers. So if you're single, you're, you have no business getting in any of that sort of thing. And it would be odd for you to, to even try even yeah, try, exactly. try and get into that. It's kind of creepy if you were to do that. Exactly. So, so like part of it is like you, you have more access to sort of the, the root structure of, of society. Whereas um, it, when you're single, you don't have as much access to that root structure. You can do a lot more of like the, the surface things. And another, another big benefit of, um, of being married is, is that um, those those children will, you, you'll, you'll learn more, I think, about the fullness of, of the human experience that, that God has for us. If you have children, because, for example, like God is a father to us and and you may like you may have had a good father, but you may not have experienced what it was like to be a father. Like that's a different experience. And it, I yeah, think it, totally. opens, it opens your eyes, I think, in some ways to the way that God sees us when you see your own children, you know, for Absolutely. example, yeah. so th there's, there's, that's another like more personal one. Um, but there's another one I'm, I'm trying to think of it. There's another like really, um, oh yeah. The, the long-termish one is, is also has to do with children. And that is that, so, so when you're single, the things that you do in ministry have almost a, they may not have a, an immediate result, but, um, but you, oftentimes like you're, you're, you're so highly involved with whatever ministry you're doing that you are seeing the results and you are, um, and your, your reach is right, is, is right in front of you. And maybe you come back to whatever that ministry was and you might be able to see the results when you're married and you have children, you're actually training little kingdom workers who are then going to go out and do things beyond your own lifetime. And you have no yeah. idea what your kids are going to do or what their friends are going to do having, having met your kids and, and all that, like your, your reach actually spreads deeper and further though. It's not you particularly who's, who's doing the work immediately. You're actually sharing the ministry with, with other people, namely your family and they and they are going out and doing the work. Um, and that that's a, a lot broader than like what the one individual could do by themselves. So, I mean, th these are some things to think about. Your original question, I think, was like, who is who? Well, a good question to ask is, um, you know, which not only which of these is more desirable, because a lot of that is already like marriage is already desirable for most 
for most people, they haven't, they haven't even considered that singleness would be desirable. Right. But, but, um, wherever you are right now, like that's who, that's who you are. Right. So are you single right now? Okay. Seek those advantage, like seek to, to take advantage of all those areas in which a single person can do things that a married person can't while you're single, you know, and are you married already? Well, that's pretty obvious if you're already married, like, yeah, yeah that's who you, that's who you are. Yep. That's who I am. Um, so like, uh, you know, instead of like, uh, trying because because even married people it's like this they try and jump ship into the other group right wherever i am like oh, i think it would be better in the other one instead of like taking that that approach just learn to uh learn to seek the lord where you are like I, i'm of the opinion especially for single people like if you can't be content being single what makes you think you're going to be content being married you know mm -hmm. you're you're you, you, if you haven't given your your whole self to God as a, as a single person, what makes you think that having this other person is going to help you give yourself more fully to God? It's it's hard, in my opinion. Like it's yeah, it's harder when you get married to to really make your life about one thing. Um, and so for me, like being single, it's like man, this is my opportunity to really to really give myself fully to God. And if that's like, and if if that turns into marriage someday, great. But if not, like. If it does turn into marriage, what better marriage partner than someone who's already learned to give themselves fully away to someone else? Like that's the kind of marriage partner you want, right? Instead of somebody who's like pining away for something they don't have, like that's not going to make a very good spouse. Yeah, that's brilliant so, insight, man. Thank you. Um, mm -hmm. And we talked about this a little bit with uh, with Paul in his comments talking about marriage and and how it's a metaphor used to describe our relationship with God, this everlasting covenant in the eyes of God in sacrificial mm -hmm. terms. Uh, right. As a single person, does that pose problematic for you? <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's actually a great question um, because you know even um, even in, in the sort of glowing terms that marriage is cast in, in scripture, um, you would think that, well, of course, like, uh, marriage is something that everyone should be seeking because that's sort of our end is, is to be married to Christ. Um, whatever that means. I mean, I, I actually, I, you know, people are totally free to disagree with me on this, but I actually think that the talk about being married to Christ is, is a metaphor for something much bigger than what we call marriage. Hmm. Um, but um, <clears throat> but that's how that's how a lot of those a lot of those things are. But um, anyways, like it in one sense, you would think that it, it would pose a problem because of um, because marriage is sort of like what God created us for is this sort of union with Himself, um, and to to not seek that would seem to like to deny your own telos like meaning the thing that you were made for, what you were made to do. But even, you know, and there's a story, and I think it's in Matthew 22, where um, where these this group of, um, of Jewish leaders called the Sadducees, they came to him and they, they were trying to trap him and trick him. And they told him a story, uh, you know, a fictitious story. 
about a, a woman who was married to seven different men because each time she married one, then he died. And then, right. And so he had to marry the brother and then he died. And they're like, Oh, so which one in heaven, you know, in heaven, right. whose wife which is, one is she? Who, whose wife is she? Right. And the reason why is because the Sadducees actually didn't believe they didn't believe in the afterlife. They didn't, they were kind of like the Sadducees were kind of like the, the, I would say like the, the furthest left like branch of Christianity where it's like, well, you don't really believe in any of the stuff. You just, sort of followed the route because I had said the furthest left is like, well, we follow all this stuff because it's personally meaningful, but we know it doesn't mean any, like there's nothing beyond this life. It's just simply, um, this gives me a sense of, uh, a sense of place and purpose here, but I know life is ultimately meaningless and there is no God or whatever. That's sure. sort of kind of how, the, that's kind of how the sad UCs were. And it's really funny. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if Jesus was intending to be comical or if it's just the writer there, but what Jesus' response was, was you don't, you know, neither God nor the scriptures. Like, it's just like, well, you don't know anything. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then he says, when, you know, when they, uh, in, in the uh, hereafter, they, they will, they won't be married. No one will be married, but they'll be like the angels. And I don't know what that means. Yeah, but, you got um, me on that. Right. Like, I don't know what that whole, like, they'll be like the angels thing, but um, I know what the not being married thing is. And I don't think that that means like marriage doesn't exist. I think what that means is that you're not coupled to this other human being in that same way anymore. Everyone is coupled to Jesus in in a very particular way, such that our the way that we, uh, the way that we unite with one another will be, in its proper place. And one of the reasons why I think that is because, you know, we had talked about why is, why is marriage held up so much and singleness not one of the reasons I think is because marriage, it's possible to hold, hold marriage too highly to hold, to, to idolize your spouse or to idolize, idolize even the idea of your spouse. Like some people aren't married, but they still idolize marriage. And, um, that won't, that won't happen, uh, in, in the afterlife because Jesus will be, we will see our union with Jesus as so fundamental that our other relationships will not simply, they won't become peripheral as, as though they don't matter. They will matter a lot, but, um, but they just won't be the same as they are here. <clears throat> so there, if, if that is the case that, um, that we are all sort of destined to be united to Christ. And in that union with Christ, our union with, with one another in this spousal relationship here will in some ways dissolve. Well, that means that you're sort of in the same boat if you're married or if you're single, ultimately right. in the long run. Right. right. Um, and I don't think anybody would say there's something wrong with oh, yeah, being single. Sure. Like no, no one would say that, right? Um, right. And if that's the case, then how do we reflect a healthier understanding of singleness within our local expression of church? Like how do we mm-hmm. go about coming alongside, not in a "oh, I feel bad for you" way, but the same way right. we would, but the same way we would with uh, a married person? How do we champion? Right, right what what god is calling for 
Single people. Yeah, that's a, that's also a, a great question. I think that probably one of the best ways to um, one of the best ways to do that would be to, I think, address maybe the underlying the underlying issue, which for most people, because because from what I've been saying, it, it might be easy for someone to infer that I that I um, that I think that it's a problem that people want to get married. And that's actually not true. I don't think that it's, that it's a problem that people want to get married. Mm. I, the problem I think is the anxiety people have over it, that, that it preoccup that the people are preoccupied with being married. So like, you know, they, if, if they come into a new community or a new group of people, they're, they're not seeing each, each person is not a son or daughter of God whom who is a sinner whom God died for to save. That's not the way that people are looked at. They're looked at uh, my possible spouse. Right. Almost as potential or probably not, you know, like they're, you're either potentially my spouse or not potentially my spouse, you know, that sort of thing. And with that, the underlying problem, I think really underneath, underneath this is really the fundamental. I mean, it's, it's the garden of Eden story. God has given you a life right now, whatever that is. Are you going to follow him into that life? Or are you going to say, no, I want something else. And I'm going to go after that. Because that's really what you're doing when when you're saying, I'm single and I'm going to simply pursue a spouse without giving any attention to the fact that you are single. Like you're, you're not... You're not accepting what God has given you and saying, God, how do I follow you in it? And, and, and living into that and instead rejecting that and seeking something, something else. Um, and the way that that works, it's like, that is what a person has done long before they actually have an affair. They've already rejected the world that God has given them. They've, mm-hmm. They have failed to give thanks. I mean, it's that whole Romans one thing. You don't give thanks. Um, that and they fail to recognize God for who he is, that sort of thing. Um, but so that, that's, that's sort of the first way that I think that the church could, and, and that's not even necessarily addressing singleness particularly. It's just something in, I think, in us human beings generally. That's why the story goes all the way back to the garden is, um, is a failure to recognize the goodness of what you have right now yeah. and living, living the fullest that you can Right now, I think a, a lot of it comes from uh, we we've imbibed the sort of the American story of of pursuing happiness and, and being the author of our own narrative. Yeah. And and when we do that, then what, what we tend to think is, well, it's up to me to make for myself the good life that I that I think I need to get because no one else is going to do that for me. It's all on me to make sure all to make sure that I get all the good things that I need that will make me happy. And part of the problem is like, one, we're terrible at knowing what's going to make us happy. Totally. As soon as you get it, it's like, well, it doesn't make you happy anymore. Or maybe it it never did. It just made you happy thinking about that. It would make you happy. And two, like this, the striving for it causes all kinds of anxiety. That's, that's one of the reasons why we fail to give, to give thanks. And we destroy all kinds of relationships and other people in order to get that. Like there are so many ways in which not 
not truly believing that God is sovereign and that God loves us, that what if, if we don't actually believe those things, I'm not saying if you don't say that with your mouth, I'm saying if you don't truly believe that. And what I mean by that is if you, if your actions don't instinctively communicate that with your life, you don't actually believe it. And that's, mm. That's a hard word for people to hear because we think that belief is, is simply an act in your mind, a sort of a, a lending of assent to a thing. But actually, we're not in full control of our beliefs, really. Um, they, they become us in some way. And yeah. so, so what you have to do is you have to live, in, live with a vision of reality that's ex more expanded than the one that you have right now. And so I think what that means for the church, how the church helps with that, is to present, uh, to present God and to present Christ in such a way that, that he is so desirable and so loving that, um, that people will desire to obey him, that people will desire to follow him, and that people will, will learn to trust him rather than thinking that, that it's all on me to make sure I, I get my happiness in life. Right. Um, but if, but I think that's part of the problem is like our, our preaching is, is rather paltry. It doesn't do justice to who God really is in a lot of ways. Hmm. So um, some of it could be, could be better preaching. And I, I lead with that, with that sort of theological side, because I actually do think that that's, um, that that does that does make a difference. What somebody actually believes about God changes the way that they behave. I mean, the the World Trade Centers fell to the ground because people believe something about God. So their idea ideas matter. What you believe matters. Changes what you do. Yeah. Um, so uh, presenting like uh, presenting people with a world that is actually the true one. Um, a lot of what, what we perceive in reality, I think, is um, it's not like I, the one of the ways in which I see scripture in Revelation is a way of showing us the way that things actually are, because our eyes can be deceptive. Um, mm. So a part of the task of preaching is is helping people to see there's there's it's an interesting thing in scripture. Uh, Jesus talks about having ears to hear. Um, and eyes to see in scripture, actually faith is not opposed to things like reason or science or whatever faith is opposed to sight. So right. there's a lot, there's a lot in there, There's a lot to be said for, um, you know, I actually do believe in like a personal, you know, devil who can deceive people and has, has made a, a, a history of doing that. And, Right. That's, and, and, and that is the, the problem is like when that deception is your native structure, how do you break out of that? Because that's, that's your, the, the whole framing of reality is in that. And that's where I think preaching, like it, it exposes the lie for what it is. If it's true preaching, it'll expose the lie for what it is. So that's part of it. Another, another, like there, there are, now I'm going to go really quickly through some other like practical things that seem sure. rather obvious. Like one is like, okay. Um, how many single people do you have on staff at your church? How, how many of them, like how many of your sermons are coming from that perspective? Yeah. 
you know, like how, and, and I'm not talking about somebody who's like, oh, they're single and they're worship leader. So like you have your quote unquote representation. I'm talking more about, um, you know, actually like giving single people like a, a voice or, or it doesn't even have to necessarily be like hiring somebody who's single. It could be something as simple as saying like, you know, we went through and looked at how many single people do so much for the church. Like it's, it's just not even acknowledged that single people are doing very, very valuable things for the community. Yeah. Like it's it, whenever something valuable is happening, it's always like a family or it's, it's a, it's a person, it's, it's so-and-so and their wife and their kids, which I understand that desire to include the whole family because, like, that person wouldn't be doing what they were doing without the support of their family. I get that, uh, and, and it's right to acknowledge that. But, um, but it doesn't seem like the same sort of thing is happening. Like, it, it doesn't seem like there's um, – that, that it's recognized that single people are doing valuable things in the community. And I – I really don't think it's because single people aren't doing anything valuable in the community, you know, no, totally not. So, and, and it's not the reason why I say this is sort of like a secondary thing is because like you shouldn't be doing the right thing for the community as a single person, because you're going to get a bunch of out of boys, you know, because you're going to get praise in front of people. But, but part of the problem is like people don't even see that their work is valuable sometimes until somebody else recognizes that and says that. Yeah. And we just don't, we just don't say it. Um, we're willing to say it for some people and not for others. And I think just simply like recognizing like, wow, there's a lot that's happening here amongst these people, um, you know, among single people, you might say, it's really beneficial to the community and just pointing that out. Like that's, that's another thing that can be done, I suppose, practically. And like you said, you never heard like a sermon on singleness other than like a preparation for marriage, basically. Yeah. Um, It's not like, okay, like, so you're single, like here's how you live fully for Jesus as a single person. Like where's, where's that sermon? Where's that handbook? You know, it's not. And, and, and honestly, like this is where I found like, Catholics have way more on this than we Protestants do because they have a viable way to be single. It's called monasticism. Hmm. Um, and we, we don't, we don't have that, but we don't have a replacement for that. We don't have some other way to, to have like a highly regarded single life. There's only the highly regarded married life. Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying we should form our own brand of monasticism. Like there, there are some things within that tradition that I think are good that, that could help us out. But I'm, I'm not, I haven't been, I'm open to being convinced, but I'm not yet convinced that like, oh yeah, what we should do is like have like these single, all single like monastic communities who sort of take vows to never get married. But, but, but we need some kind of alternative, right? We need some, yeah. we need something. Yeah. And, and I honestly think that even just starting the conversation about it is a move in the right direction. Right. Right. Exactly. So Josh, as we close, you're still at the mic. Uh, what's one thing you'd like to say to a church or just the church community as a whole that would move us in a positive direction? This might be on the topic of singleness or it could just be something that's on your mind. Um, I think, well, the one thing that I would say, um, both to singles and I guess to the, to, to anyone listening. And that is that 
don't underestimate the power of God to, to use you in your life right now. Not some other time in the future, not when something else happens, not when you get that job or you get that spouse or you get anything else, but right now. Don't underestimate God doing something right now and God using you right now. Mm. A lot of, man, it's, it's such a, um, it's, it's like a disease among us to, to think that your life begins when certain events happen instead of right now. Jesus died for you as you are right now, not for you as you will be at some point. Of course you will be something more than what you are right now, but God's not waiting around for you to become something before he's going to start working in your life and using you. I think that's what I would, I would say to people. That's awesome, man. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Uh, where can people find you online? Maybe something you're working on, something from culture that you're digging. (laughs) Do do you want people following you? (laughs) Well, the the reason why I say, oh my, is because I don't, I don't have like an online, I don't have Facebook. I don't have Twitter. I don't have, I don't have anything. Like I said, like, I'll probably be doing like those YouTube videos, but I don't even have like a YouTube account or anything. I have a Gmail, Joshua P. Wilder at gmail.com. Someone <laughs> wants, to, wants to email me. If they but, want to um, complain about your thoughts on the show, they can definitely. Sure. <laughs> and that's fine. I'm, I'm see the thing is I, I know that I can be wrong about things and I will not know that I'm wrong until somebody else points it out. So if someone mm-hmm. thinks I've, 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 departed and I'm not on the straight and narrow, I, I invite them to straighten me out uh, if they can. That's how we grow. Definitely. Well, Josh, thanks so much for making the time to be on the show. I've <laughs> really learned a lot just from chatting with you for the last, you know, however minutes have gone <laughs> by. I just lost track of time and I really just appreciate you making the time, dude. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for, thanks for the call. That wraps up this episode of The Dismantle. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the topic discussed today, your experience, ways that we can continue to create community, or potential topics that you'd like to hear discussed. Visit us at dismantlepod.com. And until next time, don't complain about the things you're not willing to change. You've been listening to The Dismantle, creating community, not converts. Visit us at dismantlepod.com.